This podcast is sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. The OAG Punctuality League 2016 reveals on-time performance for the world's airlines and airports. The industry's most comprehensive annual ranking returns with the best performers. Airline categories include mainline airlines, low-cost carriers, and top performers from North America, Latin America, EMEA, and Asia-Pacific. Visit oag.com slash punctualityleague2016. So Delta reported earnings last week, and that always injects a little joy into the hearts of the Airline Weekly staff. For one thing, Delta is an interesting and important airline, but also because Delta's report signals the beginning of earnings season. It's the most wonderful time of the quarter. The excitement in the air is downright palpable. Yes, earnings are the reason for the season. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to start with Delta's report, of course. Plus, we'll consider a rumored Lufthansa Etihad merger. We'll check in on Mexico's most profitable airline. And we'll stop in India, where they are ordering planes as if they were, well, the world's second most populous country. All that and more in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. You know, Seth, you kind of stole Delta's thunder in last week's show when you said they were looking at an 11% operating margin. That indeed turned out to be the number, and that, of course, was down from 17% in the fourth quarter of the year before. That may sound really disappointing, but as you said last week, it's really not that bad. Not that bad for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, again, we're talking about the, the, the cold, dark fourth quarter, which is uh, surpassed only by the cold, dark first quarter when we're in the middle of right now in terms of, of, of seasonally weak quarters. And uh, throughout Delta's history, indeed, throughout the history of, of most airlines, uh, you know, if you told them that you'd be putting up an 11% margin in, in one of the worst quarters, a double digit margin, uh, they would have taken that any day of the week and, and twice on Sunday. Uh, so in historical terms, excellent. Um, and, and even that decline from 17% to 11%, which is indeed notable. I mean, that's, that's you know, not a, not a fractional decline, uh, to be sure. Uh, driven partly by labor costs, I should say more than partly by labor costs. Uh, you know, they have an expensive new pilot contract. Um, but when you drill down there, that too, not as bad of a story as as uh, it, it might seem on the surface, because a large part of that decline was due to one-off costs. Basically, they uh, they gave pilots a lot of back pay, kind of dating back to when the uh, the, the last deal uh, became amendable. Uh, you know, you, you might say expired, but they don't exactly expire. So, um, so basically, their pilot costs were higher last quarter uh, than they will be going forward. Uh, it would have been sort of more like fifteen percent, if you know, if not for that. Um, still, a a uh, again, sort of more than statistical noise in terms of the decline, you know, a real decline, but um, but more than half of the decline from last year was explained by these one-off costs. Uh, so uh, an excellent quarter in any context other than compared to, uh, uh, you, you know, 
one of the very best fourth quarters that uh, any legacy airline certainly has had uh, in the history of the world a year earlier. And with the pilot contract now in place, how does their overall labor situation look compared to United or American or whoever you want to compare them to? Yeah, well, and those are the two most relevant ones. So certainly Southwest is the other uh, giant U.S. airline, albeit one with a different business model, and one that too has now a very expensive pilot contract. Uh, you know, these airlines all eventually leapfrog each other. Uh, so, American at one point had, had the, the most expensive deal. Um, uh, you know, Delta now, of course, did this, and United's pilots. Uh, automatically snap up to Delta levels. Uh, that was part of their deal. <laughs> Delta pilots got a better deal that the United pilots would would uh, would get to match that. So um, uh, so now you know Delta and, and, and United uh, particularly expensive. Southwest too. Uh, you know, and then the Americans contracts will become amendable again, and they'll. But, you know, if, if things still remain as they are right now and, and all these airlines are still earning uh, billions of dollars in profits, I'm sure Americans pilots will, will uh, expect to get their piece of, of that pie as well. But, um, you know, th- this was all to be expected. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past, Jason, that, you know, airlines were were kind of operating in, 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 uh, in an alternate universe and in, in, in an unsustainable universe for a little while uh, where you had these uh, very low fuel cost airfares that for a while uh, were still rather high and labor costs that were still more like the kind of labor costs you would expect coming out of bankruptcy, which is when, you know, when, when some of those old deals were set, uh, then, um, uh, you know, then you would expect from airlines that are doing as well as they're doing now. So it was all to be expected. Um, you know, I mean, the airline said years ago that, hey, if you, they told their employees, look, if you, uh, stick with us here. The, you know, this is going to work out well for all of us. Um, and and now that that bill is is coming due, so they're happy to be able to doing to they're happy to be doing as well as they are to be able to uh, to uh, to share the spoils with uh, with their employees. But um, yeah, probably not going to see seventeen percent fourth quarter operating margins. Uh, certainly for those those uh, big three legacy airlines again anytime soon. Moving from the cost side to the revenue side, you said last week they seem to have gotten their hands around their unit revenues, which is something we've been talking about for probably more than a year now on this show. How do unit revenues look, and what is Delta doing to improve them? Yeah, they're, they're they've they have indeed um, basically gotten there. Um, you know, and look, some of this, Jason, is is related to something I mentioned just before: fuel costs, right? Uh, you know, falling unit revenues, although they certainly make um, airline management teams and investors nervous because everybody sort of says, okay, where, where's, you know, where's this going to stop? Um, you know, when you have falling fuel costs also, it, you know, it's fine in terms of, in terms of profits, right? Um, now everybody knows that at some point the fuel costs are going to stop falling, which indeed they did and they're now on the rise. And so then that's when that's when it becomes more important to reverse the uh, declining unit revenues. And guess what? That's that's indeed um, happening. Airlines have been even more aggressive about um, uh, sort of keeping capacity in check. That's what Delta has done. But it's it's you know also doing a lot else in terms of its uh, in terms of its product, premium economy, true premium economy. Uh, you know, with wider seats and and uh, better meals and all that is coming to to long haul. Uh, for example, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's gotten somewhat, you know, I guess you could say lucky in, in the sense that it's exposure. I think you and I have talked about this before, but, um, you know, of the big three, American United and Delta, Delta is the only one that doesn't have a hub in Texas, which is a, uh, uh we're actually going to have a, a cover story coming up on this, uh, uh, in the, in the issue in a week or two. Um, you know, Texas is, 
the uh, of course the epicenter of of the of the oil bust, Houston in particular, but not only Houston. Dallas has a huge uh, oil industry, you know. So so American has as Dallas. Uh, United has Houston. Uh, Delta doesn't have a hub there. It does, in turn, have a hub now uh, in in uh, a place that's about as opposite of, of Texas as, as 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 you can have now, which is Seattle. Uh, you know, Delta, of course, went in there, you know, kind of attacking Alaska a few years ago, and at first it really looked you know hopeless for Delta. Still, always an uphill battle to be sort of the 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 number two airline uh you know going up against a very well-liked airline like alaska number two in the market i mean um and you know i'm sure delta is never going to earn outsized profits in seattle uh you know however difficult seattle would have been in in different economic circumstances it is surely better now um because i mean that market is just absolutely booming you know everything it aerospace industry still doing quite well uh um, so, it, so, you know, just, just sort of that exposure has been good for, for Delta as well. And, and look, it, it, it continues to run the most reliable giant complex airline the world has probably ever seen. And, and that too helps. So, um, uh, you know, so, so it's, it, it's, uh, yeah, a little bit of luck and a little bit of, of doing a good job with the, uh, with the things it can control, um, leading to at least, uh, you know, if we can't yet talk about any appreciable unit revenue increases, at least, uh, to, to flattening unit revenues, which is, uh, which is very good news in, in, in the context of, you know, somewhat higher oil, oil prices now. And, uh, you know, of course, those expensive new labor deals. What about a JV with Korean Air or a stake in Avianca? Delta's management didn't mention either in the call. Do you take their silence to mean anything? Not necessarily. Uh, to be clear, the, the idea of a JV with Korean Air is, is something they've, you know, sort of acknowledged. Uh, uh, Avianca is something they haven't talked about. That's you know just just reports that are out there. Uh, Avianca rather clearly looking for uh, for for an equity partner. Uh, Delta rumored uh, reported to be uh, one of the interested parties along with United and Copa. Uh, so um, yeah, d- d- didn't mention anything as you said in the in the call. Um, you know I think the Korean probably more likely to happen than not. It has. Made sense for a very long time, um, but Korean Air is, you know, seems to finally be feeling some of the pressure that might um, uh, push it into into Delta's arms. I think that would be very very positive, actually, for uh, for both airlines if that if that happens. You know, as long as they execute it right, you always have to do that. But Delta has a, a very good record with these things. With Avianca, look, Delta's one of three that uh, that might get involved there now. Delta becoming involved with Avianca could really reshuffle things in a way that. Uh, neither United nor Copa getting involved could do because perhaps you would have some alliance implications. I mean, I don't know. There's certainly there are examples all around the world of airlines um, having partners with uh, with others that are not in the same alliance. You know, depending on what this looks like, um, if, if if it were to be Delta, yeah, I mean, look, it would be more than just an equity partner. I'm sure there'd be some, some strategic you know, motivation there as well. It would be... Gosh, a little hard to imagine, you know, Delta with its uh, with its sort of close. Uh, I mean, it's, well, look, it's very close Sky Team partner in Aeromexico, um, right there, also working closely, perhaps with someone in Star Alliance um, in, in the same broad region of the world. Um, of course, Delta has uh, Virgin Atlantic, which is unaligned, um, but that's different. You know, to have a, a core Star Alliance member working with Delta. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what regulators would say about that. Uh, you know, so so certainly that that would shake things up. 
Uh, but in terms of handicapping, how li- how likely they are to uh, to be the one, I think that's um, uh, that's that's tough to do. Speaking of those kinds of partnerships, we wrote in Airline Weekly that the most important tool Delta has to improve international revenues is its portfolio of JVs and equity partnerships around the world. And that inspired something in me. It's a dun dun Airline 101 question. Here goes. These kinds of tie-ups don't always work. What's the trick to getting them right? Well, you know, certainly one thing that's that's different about Delta's partnerships, it's JVs in particular from from most others. Although I'm, you know, I'm not sure this is a prerequisite to it to working right because there there are others that don't involve Delta and that don't do this that work well. But you know, Delta shares uh, not only revenues with joint venture partners as basically all joint venture partners do, um, but costs as well. In some ways, a more complex way to do things. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to share costs, well, then you really have to get that part right. Because uh, if you don't, there are all kinds of perverse incentives that can, you know, uh, that could cause more harm than good. But, um, but, but if you can get it right, uh, I mean, in terms of you know incentives being aligned, uh, yeah, they really sort of virtually merge with their partners uh, in those parts of the businesses. You know, I mentioned them to go Virgin Atlantic. Um, the uh, transatlantic venture. I mean that that you know those, those two are one airline across the Atlantic, uh, which you know in many ways you know so are American and British Airways and, and and some of the others. But again, only Delta among giant airlines shares not only revenues but uh, but cost as well with its uh, with its partners. Uh, yeah, and and uh, look, they've they've just been doing this longer. I'm counting here Delta's predecessor airline Northwest Airlines which was the first in the world to do this with KLM back in the early 1990s so we're talking about an airline that's just been doing this for a quarter century you know and and uh, uh, so just just kind of a lot of experience there um, and there, you know everybody else has kind of had to feel their their way through it so I think that's just kind of a big part of it is is uh, you know that the the giant transatlantic joint venture with uh, uh, with Air France KLM and, and with Alitalia is, is you know sort of counts its roots as as uh, Northwest KLM. Uh, so it was the first, and um, in in many ways, still the best. You know, but in general, other airlines are the ones looking at at at, at uh, Delta's JVs as as models of what to do uh, to get it right. Uh, even though in some respects they they choose not to do certain things that Delta does. I mentioned the cost sharing for in particular one thing that uh, um, that most of them just decide not to get into. So the trick to getting them right is basically to start early, start young. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're they're. Uh, Look, there is such a thing as a last mover advantage with a lot of things, right? You get to learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, but in this case, uh, as the first mover, yeah, they're, they're, they're just, um, uh, there are just, you know, wheels that you don't have to reinvent when you're, when you're on your, uh, you know, your, your fifth, sixth, seventh JV. I remember uh, years back, gosh, this has to go uh, maybe a decade back being at a, a, a conference. Uh, and there was sort of an IT stream, and there was somebody from the Northwest Airlines talking about integrating partnerships there, and it was Northwest still then. This was this was before the the merger, and um, and if I remember correctly, the figures. Um, so basically, the first you know code share, you know, first major code share that Northwest had done was with uh, with 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 KLM as part of you know prelude to the joint venture, and that took a whole lot of time, and uh, you know millions of dollars to implement 
and they had by the time I was I was listening to this uh, to this person speak, they had gotten it down to um, a new code share partner costing like ten thousand dollars to implement. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just they had just done so many of them uh, that that it had just become so routine. Uh, and and yeah, yeah, these are very commonplace around the world now, since they're not the only airline that's able to to to, to do it in a routine way. Um, but yeah, it, it, experience does count for something, and and they've just been doing this. Uh, a, a really long time and uh you know they've, they've made some mistakes but they've they've been right more than they've been wrong one last question on delta going through our write-up i was rather impressed with delta's bullishness and they do seem to have a right to it um sure they have a hole in their network in asia and we talk about that a lot but besides that really what else do they have to fix i'm asking because they just seem to be strong in every area you know when you look at operations hubs fleet the sky miles program product network i was just curious what you thought depending on sort of who you believe on what's the most important thing for a network you could you could criticize them as having and it's nothing they can do anything about necessarily uh, uh you know it's it's just kind of how the airline's structured but look united and american are both big in america's three biggest cities new york chicago los angeles uh, they both have um, United in particular is just just a, a a huge presence in in uh in in almost all the most important and and biggest cities. Delta does not have a hub in 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 Chicago in particular. It it has a huge presence in New York, but split there between the two airports, Guardia and, and JFK. Uh, United has you know maybe what you'd prefer in terms of you know one airport. That's uh you know that's rather convenient to Manhattan at least more so than than JFK, um and where everything's under one roof where we're we're profitable short haul network can feed a uh, strong long haul network uh, instead of sort of having to run some flights at JFK some short haul flights at JFK that you might not really want on their own merits but you need them for for the network comp- contribution to to feed long haul you know that kind of thing anyway so so it's just to say that. You know, in terms of that, in terms of just like the, the the presence in all the most important U.S. cities, yeah, you know, Delta is 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 arguably behind the other two. Um, but a separate question is is whether that's what you want. You know, Delta has a dominant position in in Detroit and Minneapolis that American and United will never have in in uh, in Chicago because they because they share the place. Not to mention, sort of share the broader city with uh, Southwest, counting what's at Midway. You know, but but I, I I guess I guess uh you know that would that would be one obvious one. Uh, I mean, look, they don't have the most modern fleet, but I mean they they consider that basically uh an asset. I mean, they're modernizing it slowly, but you know, American now has has uh you know a, a, a it's rapidly modernizing its fleet, going to the uh that believe it already has the youngest fleet of those airlines at least and it'll have one of the youngest around when it gets done uh you know delta certainly was there are things like but yeah if it sounds like i'm kind of you know scratching and clawing to find things uh to find areas to criticize that's that's because that's the uh that's the case a lot a lot more going going right than wrong for delta let's take a moment to thank our sponsor the oag punctuality league 2016 learn more at oag.com slash punctuality league 2016 this next item should be filed as a rumor or scuttlebutt or chatter but uh, an italian newspaper is reported without naming any sources that lufthansa and etihad are in merger talks and i'm using the term merger loosely because we don't know what the merger would look like also both airlines declined to comment uh but they didn't deny it either seth is there anything to this 
Yeah, I think you characterized it right. I mean, look, it, it was, um, and then that report was picked up by other media, by you know Reuters and so forth. So yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, sort of said, well, it's 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 just credible enough to 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 merit uh, to merit mention. I mean, it's 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 not outside the uh, the the realm of possibility. Obviously, you know, it it could be as little as a, an equity investment by Etihad in Lufthansa. If I'm not mistaken, I think the the percentage was rather big. They were talking thirty, forty percent. So that would be a lot more than what, for example, Qatar uh, has invested in in uh, in British Airways. You know these these are airlines that are both uh, that are both looking for answers in, in different kinds of ways. Etihad, uh, you know, generally speaking, doesn't seem like the the kind of airline that's uh, well. You, you'd think they're mostly done investing, but this would be a very different uh, different kind of investment from uh, from some of their others. Uh, and if they, um, you know, uh, could could in some way work together rather than being at each other's throats. So tons of, of course, has been as, as vocal as any of the European airlines about, uh, you know, fighting the, uh, the Gulf carriers, you know, I, I suppose anything's possible. Um, you know, obviously you have Air Berlin in the mix here with the, you know, it's become a big problem for Etihad, an opportunity possibly for Lufthansa. Uh, so, you know, we, we no idea what this thing would end up looking like. I guess I would just say broadly that you could envision these two airlines being better off uh, working together uh, than against each other. Uh, and and look, it, one way or another, <laughs> they're they're going to be working together because this this, this Air Berlin thing obviously touches the, both of them very close. But uh, um, just uh, so many things in play here, just kind of hard to say right now. That, that hard to even really make a good educated guess about how this is all going to look when when it's uh, when it's finished. That's definitely something that we'll have to keep close eyes on because it's going to do a lot to alter sort of the balance of power in in, in the world in a lot of ways uh, and certainly in, in European and uh, Arabian Gulf aviation. Let's go back to last week's cover story, which was all about Mexico's most profitable airline, which is Volaris. I had some follow-up questions. If you were the CEO of Volaris, what's worrying you the most of the following three things? One, the JV between Delta and Aeromexico. Two, more competition from U.S. airlines like Southwest and JetBlue. Or three, Donald Trump. Uh, good question. Um, probably three. Uh, you know, in the sense that, I mean, look, the, the Delta Mexico, Aeromexico JV, I mean, first of all, even though... Uh, I mean, look, one thing we've learned in the U.S. is that, you know, anytime an airline says, oh, we're going after a totally different market from some other airline, you're not necessarily the case, right? It is one big marketplace. And, you know, we, we've we've learned here over the past uh, couple of years that, well, you know, Spirit, yeah, it doesn't compete for all the same passengers as, uh, you know, as, as, as American Delta and United, but, but um, there's some overlap there. And so to say, well, Volaris doesn't care about the same people at Delta and Aeromexico uh, cares about probably simplistic. But having said that, you know, broadly speaking, um, they go after different markets. Uh, you know, if anything, Delta and Mexico, that is some consolidation. I mean, there's one less player, uh, one less independent player in the marketplace. And we've seen Jason, uh, with, with a lot of mergers, uh, that, that, um, the competitors to the airlines that that are emerging have have benefited from just having one less competitor from from uh, um, you know, one less independent player in the market. So um, you know I, I don't think that uh, keeps Volaris up at night. The uh, competition from from the U.S. carriers, uh, you know, there, uh, yeah, it's it's it, yeah, it's it's new capacity and it's competition. Um, but on the other hand, Volaris has gotten all the same new rights to 
you know, due to U.S. Mexico open skies, it can do whatever it wants uh, in terms of flying to uh, to the U.S. from uh, anywhere in Mexico, and it, it has very very low costs. Uh, it, you know, we talked before about those extremely expensive Southwest pilot costs and everything. You know, Volaris has a has a huge cost advantage. Um, so. You know, if, uh, I like being an ultra low cost Mexican airline flying against uh, U.S. carriers in some of the same markets. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not too scared of that. If I'm, if I'm that, yeah, they're small, which makes them more vulnerable in some ways, and that's that can be tough. You know, a big bad airline can sort of afford to wait out wars of attrition in a way that a smaller airline can't. But you know, it's not a tiny airline. Uh, so, uh, so I guess by process of elimination, I, if I'm Valaris, like a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, airlines and the just businesses around the world are probably most uh, most worried about Donald Trump, particularly obviously with his focus on is that a nice nice neutral word focus on uh, on Mexico. <laughs> Let's switch hemispheres and move over to India. And when I say India, I bet you know already what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> there are a lot of single aisle aircraft headed to India. Indigo, of course, has a huge Neo order. Go Air has ordered another 72 Neos, which would roughly triple the size of that airline. And now SpiceJet has ordered up to 205 737 Maxes. Okay, India is a fast growing place with a lot of people, but still, that seems like a lot of planes. I have two questions. Are these airlines being too ambitious? And is Jet Airways, who doesn't have all that many planes on order, are they being too cautious? Well, India is underserved relative to, to the size of its population by, um, uh, you know, by orders of magnitude compared to like, you know, even let's say China, you know, there are people who say, well, you know, when you talk about is you know, our Chinese airlines too large. People say, well, on one hand, you know, they're growing really rapidly. On the other hand, there are all these people and they're still, you know, they're still flying a lot less than other, uh, than in other big countries. Well, India, um, has even far less penetration in terms of air travel than China. Now, it, India is also poorer, uh, you know, so it's, it's going to take some time before a lot of the people who, um, who haven't flown can, can afford to fly even the, 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 the modest, uh, you know, the, the low cost carriers there, but yeah, there is um, all kinds of opportunity there. There are infrastructure constraints. Um, you know, it's getting better in some places, but uh, you know, there are places, places like Mumbai, where it's 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 uh, still a real mess. And, and India, gosh, more than any other big market, is just this boom bust place where you'll have. You know, you'll have years where the airlines will do very well, and then it'll just be awful. SpiceJet, uh, you know, which you mentioned, uh, here they are ordering a couple hundred airplanes. Not long after they had a had a brush with death, uh, oh, what a little more than a year ago, um, they had to be rescued. But I, you know, I guess I would say, uh, and I'm, and I'm kind of hedging here, but uh, you know, no, I'm balancing you know, the idea that that uh, there are a few hundred more airplanes coming to India. You know, it seems like something the country can support. You know, these these are uh, mostly narrow body aircraft that we're talking about. Um, so, it, uh, I mean, just in terms of the, you know, the number of new seats coming, it's not the same as as hundreds of uh, you know wide bodies that we might have seen in the past ordered by uh, Arabian Gulf Airlines, for example. So, uh, so we'll see. Uh, and and as for Jet Airways, um, I, I mean, look, it. it uh, you know, nobody ever went broke being conservative uh, and not getting ahead of themselves. Um, th- that's an airline that might be in transition right now. We'll have to see where everything shakes out uh, with its large shareholder Etihad, um, which seems to perhaps be losing influence. There seems like uh, Jet Airways is is perhaps now, you know, 
more in control of local management than than it than it had been might be able to now more focus on optimizing for its own business as opposed to you know feeding a hub in Abu Dhabi and that sort of thing and and uh, and and that would matter too. So uh, you know you 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 can't though uh, yeah it, I, I have a hard time c- criticizing an airline for uh, being a little bit conservative and and uh, trying not to get ahead of itself in terms of uh, in terms of aircraft orders. Airlines have more often gotten in trouble by uh, by doing the opposite uh, than by than by being a little bit cautious. And with that, we'll cautiously conclude episode <laughs> sixty one of the Airline Weekly Lounge. We'll be back next week with another episode. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by the OAG Punctuality League. Learn more at oag.com slash punctuality league 2016. What are you going to be doing Friday, Jason? Friday, Friday. going to take a, uh, oh, hockey. It's always hockey. I live in New York now. Hockey, hockey, hockey. Good idea. Good idea.